This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. Reading from 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 8. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine, and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Uh, Good morning. I am... uh... Those of you who don't know who I am, I am uh, Pastor Erica Whittington. I'm on staff here at Community Covenant. And uh, my, I guess my day job is uh, I am the pastor of discipleship and prayer. And I recently just um, took on uh, the added role of doing local mission as well. And hopefully that will be something that will I will be able to have an opportunity to talk about a little bit more as the weeks and months go on. Um, just to kind of give you guys a little bit of background, I, uh, I had a conversation with Tyler last week, and I said, uh, Tyler, so, uh, so what, what exactly is the point of the series? You know, what, what are we talking about? In, in hopes that I would have a little bit of, of clarity and maybe, you know, he was going to give me a passage or say, hey, just take this piece and all you got to do is, you know, just spend 25 to 30 minutes just talking about this one piece of scripture. He was, he didn't come through for me, okay? <laughs> uh, what ended up happening was that, and this was, this happened right, you know, this is one of these things that you have in your mind and, and uh, it is a very clear memory. And I'm standing there with, with Pastor Keith and Pastor Tyler, and he says to me, well, we're talking about living faith, you know, life beyond belief, the adventure of faith. And I said, okay, and? And he said, that's it. Isn't that great? I mean, it's like broad enough, but not so narrow. And I'm thinking, help me out here, Tyler, please. Give me, a, you know, throw me a bone here. Give me something. And he said, well, that's what I've got for you. Go for it. And I walked down the hall thinking to myself, oh, God, help me. <laughs> what am I going to talk about? And it was really kind of funny because one of the very first things that came to mind was actually the life of the Apostle Peter. And 
Peter has got to be one of my favorite guys in the Bible, hands down. And a big part of that is because Peter was a guy who continuously missed it. He was a guy who was so much like me. Oftentimes, walking with Christ, walking directly with the human Jesus and missing it. And as I was reflecting on this in the, in the idea that we're talking about living faith and life beyond belief, what came to mind was the writings of Peter. Because Peter had experienced something so deep and his understanding was so solid that despite all of the things that he went through, he was able to write these letters as a correction and as an encouragement to the people. So what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to kind of pull back a little bit, and I want us to look at the life of Peter first. And then we'll actually go into the passage. Now, one of the things that I said I love about Peter is the fact that Peter missed it so many times. His faith wavered. His faith failed. His understanding of what Jesus was saying was often filtered through his own understanding of what life meant or what things were supposed to look like. He never was able to really grasp fully, oftentimes, what exactly was happening. So I'm just going to list for you guys the top failures okay, that Peter had. Now, I have to back up a little bit. I was thinking about this yesterday, and I was thinking to myself, what kind of a man must Peter have ended up as at the end of his life that for the next 2,000 plus years his greatest failures were going to be listed and published and basically become the part of the most popular book ever. I don't know about you, but that makes me feel really uncomfortable. Okay? So let's look at some of the ways that Peter missed it. Think about the story of Peter stepping out of the boat in Matthew. Jesus calls him forth, and he steps out, and he takes a couple of steps, and then he panics. And what happens? He sinks. And what does Jesus say to him? Why did you not believe? Another one in Matthew, where Peter verbally rebukes Jesus. Okay, I'm sorry, but this, to me, is like the ultimate gutsy move, okay? Can you imagine walking with Jesus? And, and by this time, he has an idea of who he is, and yet Peter is more concerned about Jesus' popularity and what he's saying and, and kind of the PR piece 
than he is about what Jesus is actually trying to do. But he rebukes him, and Jesus turns around and says, Get behind me, Satan. That, I think about that in terms of my life, and if I had a friend say that to me, that would be the ultimate pop. (laughs) Next one. Peter wrongly compared Jesus with mortal men. In the Mount of Transfiguration, he gets starstruck. Because here he is on the top of the mountain with Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. And all that he can do is think, this is the coolest thing ever. And what we're going to do is we're going to build these temples for you guys. We're going to build these places of worship. And it's going to be awesome. And we're going to stay here. We're going to like hang out. Like he had somehow gotten some sort of spiritual backstage pass. But again, he missed the point of what Jesus was trying to show him. Of what the Father was trying to say to him. This is my son. Listen to him. Follow him. But Peter was so, was so focused on what he was seeing that he missed it. The next one I can really relate to. Peter refused at first to let Jesus wash his feet. He actually said to him, no, Lord, I can't let you do this. Because it was so humbling, the idea that his master and his Lord would wash his feet. And again, Peter was missing the fact that Jesus was trying to show him that the way to lead, the way of Christ, was to be a servant, not a bold, out front leader that demanded others follow. The next one. Peter slept through the prayer meeting at the Garden of Gethsemane. All right. So I understand that. In fact, this morning I was thinking, or last night I was thinking to myself, I have to get up and talk in front of a bunch of people at 9 o'clock in the morning. I'm barely functioning at 9 o'clock in the morning most days. And I was thinking to myself, if I have more than two cups of coffee, I'll probably get up here and talk 20 miles an hour, and no one will have any idea what I'm saying. It'll be a little bit like the, you know, the records where you used to have to play the records backwards in the 80s and get the, bat, you know, get the secret signal. You know, I didn't want anybody to have to do that. But Peter, in the most important moments that Jesus was having, where Jesus invited him in and said to him, be with me. Pray with me. Watch with me. Peter snoozing. He missed it. Then, of course, there's the huge ruckus that comes when the men come to take Jesus away. And what does Peter do? He pulls out a sword. And he proceeds to cut the ear off of one of the men who's there to take him. To to take Jesus. After all of these times, after three years of walking with Jesus, never once 
hearing or experiencing a moment of violent uprising, Peter takes it upon himself to begin a violent uprising. At which point, Jesus says to him, put it away. And he proceeds to heal the man's ear. Peter had an idea of what he wanted to happen. And Jesus again said, not that way. And these are two of the most difficult ones. Peter denying Jesus. And then after the pain of that, of losing Jesus, he goes fishing. He figures, why not? I'll just go back to what I did before. And my guess is the whole rabbi thing probably didn't pay a whole lot. So he went back to what he knew best. Again, showing that he had missed the message that Jesus was giving them. He missed the depth at which redemption was going to come. And lastly, and I don't know that this is often talked about, but the last one I want to point out is that after the writing of the Gospels, Peter didn't stop missing it. Sometimes I think we put people on a pedestal spiritually, and, um, and I think Peter is one of them. We kind of look at him and we look at, we, the last piece that we look at is John 21 where Jesus reinstates Peter. And then Peter becomes this great leader. But one of the things that we need to remember is that in the book of Galatians, Paul rebukes Peter. Because it, once again, Peter had missed it. In the book of Acts, Peter is given a vision. And he's led to Cornelius. And God opens his eyes, through the Holy Spirit, his eyes are open to the fact that it's not only going to be the salvation of the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. And he's pulled towards Cornelius, and he meets with Cornelius, and he realizes they are part of the kingdom as well. That there is no longer clean and unclean. That there is no longer separation But what happens is that Peter gives in to the pressure of the religious Jews. And he begins to back off. And he starts to treat the Gentiles with just as much disdain as he had when he was was acting as a Jew. And Paul calls him out on it and says to him, what has happened to you? You've missed it. You know better than this. And Peter, I believe, took a step and said, you're right. In our own walk of faith, I think that oftentimes we do not like to own failure. We don't like when we miss it. In fact, we have a culture, we have a society that um, is risk-free, right? 
I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I check my mail, you know, every few days. And there are, I can't tell you how many envelopes with credit card offers and vacation offers and timeshare offers. And all of them are risk-free for only the small payments of $19.99 for the next 65 months. You can have, fill in the blank, risk-free. None of us like to fail. And one of the things I want to do today is I want to talk about, I want to do a little bit of myth-busting here. So I'm super excited about using this. Look at that. That was kind of cool. So we're going to do a little myth-busting this morning, all right? So I want to talk about the three common myths of failure. And I would like for us to, in the, back of my, in the back of your mind, I want you to think about Peter. Think about the ways that I listed that Peter had failed. The first myth is failure is avoidable. Life is risk-free. Sometimes I think it's even worse in Christian circles because we get this idea that if we have Christ, if we are living the right Christian life, we get this holy bubble around us. We walk around maybe in one of those... uh, have you, ever guys, have you guys ever seen uh, when they play those games and they have the bubble thing that people can roll in? Do you know what I'm talking about? I think sometimes we spiritually think we get one of those. That God just kind of, the Holy Spirit becomes this, this all-encompassing thing and it doesn't matter what we do, it doesn't matter what we say, that we have this, this holy bubble around us. And that our marriages are going to be great that our kids are going to be amazing. They're all going to be valedictorians of their graduating classes. They're all going to have 4.70 GPAs when they graduate. They're all going to get full scholarships. And not only that, but they're going to love orphans and poor people and go on mission trips, all because we love Jesus. We get to avoid failure. But if we look at the life of Peter, one who walked so closely in intimacy intimacy with Christ, he didn't get to avoid it. He had to face it. And the truth is, John 16.33, the Lord tells his disciples, and he tells us as his disciples, in this world you will have trouble. But fear not, for I have overcome the world. He's giving us instruction. He's telling us, you're not going to avoid failing. You're not going to avoid missing it. It's going to happen in your life. But you know what? That is an opportunity to draw closer to me to fall towards me, to embrace me. The next one is failure is irreversible. Sometimes I think we get into situations in our lives, and I know I've had 
situations in my life, I'll, in fact, I'll tell you as a story, um, where we really believe that we've gotten to a place where we failed. And this has been the pattern in my own life. Okay. Um, I don't think I was ever taught to fail. In fact, I think one of the things, whether or not it was something that was said by my parents, and the part that makes me nervous about saying this right now is that my parents are here visiting, so they'll be here later on this morning. But, but that's okay. We're talking about grace, too. So um, the, the, I think a lot of times we don't learn how to fail. We don't know how to do it. And my default in that was hiding it. For as long as possible, let's hide the failure. One of the ways that that came out most profoundly in my life was when I was a college student. I was 20, 21 years old. I was 21 years old. And I had managed for two and a half years to hide that I was failing college. So I don't know about any of you, whether or not you've had those nightmares of, oh my goodness, I, uh, you walk into the classroom and it's actually the end of the semester of a class you should have been attending all, all year long. Has anybody had any of those? Okay, yeah. You know, and you walk in and it's the final exam and you're looking at it and you're thinking, oh my goodness, I don't know any of that. Okay, that was actually reality in my life where I really did show up for class and go, oh, wow, I, I really probably should have been here like nine weeks ago. But what I did was I didn't know how to deal with it. I had no idea how to say, first of all, help. I, I, I'm, I, I don't understand the material. I don't understand what's happening in the class. The, 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 this professor, this organic professor, this organic chemistry professor, seems like she's talking a completely different language. I have no idea what she's saying. So I'm just writing her little notes, and I get this cool little chemistry set that I get to like. It's like a, almost like a Legos. You know, you get to put uh, things together, and I thought that was really cool. But I had no idea what I was building. And so what happened was that slowly but surely, the failure started to pile up. And I had no idea what to do with it. And before long, it got so huge, I couldn't hide it anymore. And the point at which I couldn't hide it anymore was when the academic probation became the academic suspension. And I had to go to my parents, and I had to say to them, I've decided I'm not going to school anymore. <laughs> and I remember the look on my dad's face, and he said, well, what do you mean you're not going to school anymore? That's, that's not an option. You're going to school. And I said, no, 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 I've decided I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try and, you know, find myself. I'm going to spread my wings. I'm going to, you know, I've got this job I really like. I think I'm going to do that. And my dad, being the wise man that he is, he's like, there's something more going on here. I'm like, no, 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 really. And he's like, we haven't seen your report card in a while. You ever have one of those where you think, oh, something 
not good is going on, going on inside my body right now. <laughs> I panicked, and I realized at that point I had to tell them the truth. And I had to face the repercussions, the consequences of my choices. And I really thought for sure, this is it. And part of, part of what was going on in my head, even the hiding of my failure, was the idea that my parents were never going to talk to me again. Well, obviously they are. They're visiting. And just like Peter, I realized that failure is not irreversible. With Peter, it was that moment on the beach with Jesus. It was that moment where Jesus said to him, I still love you. Do you love me? Because you love me, will you feed my sheep? I've got something for you to do. We need to realize that failure with Christ is not irreversible. The last one here is that failure is final. I think sometimes we get into situations, in particular in relationships, where we believe that what we have done has been so heinous, has been so terrible, that we've missed it in some way, that we are so far off the mark that our failure is final and that will be the end. The end of the relationship, maybe the end of the career. But one of the things that we need to remember is that failure is not final. I love, this is one of my actually favorite passages. Um, Philippians 2.12. And it's the latter part of 2.12. But Paul says to the Philippians, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Keep working at it, because you know what? You're going to fail. You're going to miss it. There are going to be times when you make mistakes. And working it out, going to Christ with fear and trembling and saying, I need your grace here. I need for you to help me to reconcile the situation that I am in. It does not mean that our consequences go away. And I think we all know that. I know that. I'm still paying the consequences for having flunked out of college 20 years ago. There are consequences that we pay. But failure is not final. Philippians 1.6, and those of you who have done mountain men and women at the well, probably pretty familiar with us, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to, the comple- to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That The Spirit of God continues to work in us despite 
our failures, despite our stumblings. Now let's go back to 1 Peter. In light of all of the ways that I've just kind of blasted his failures on there, I want you to look at verses 3 to 6. And I'm not going to read it. Um, But I think it's important for us to be able to see that as Peter is writing this, he understands the anchor that he has been given in salvation. That his salvation... Let's see, can I have that passage back up? Awesome, thank you. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. A new birth. A renewal of our lives in spite of our failures. In spite of the ways that we miss things. That it is through the resurrection of Christ from the dead that we get an inheritance that will never fail. Peter fell down over and over and over again, but he understood the gift that he had received. It was the gift that reconciled him to God. It's the gift that reconciles us to God, that brings us back into a place of peace with God and allows us, no matter what happens, whether it be suffering, whether it be failure on our part, whether we are suffering failure We are suffering from the failure of another. That we get new birth and hope. If you look at verse 7, Peter understood that there was going to be trials. There were going to be difficult things that were going to be happening. You don't get to avoid it. No one promised risk-free Christianity, right? Believe me, I actually Googled it yesterday to see if somebody had the guts to promise that. So far, no one's done that. But that part of what happens when we do fail, part of what happens when we do suffer grief in trials, is that God is refining our faith. I believe that every time that Peter fell down, every time that Peter missed it, He threw himself back on Christ. He put himself right back at the feet of Jesus. Right there at the foot of the cross. And said, I can't do this without you. I can't fix this. I need your grace. And I need your mercy. And I need for you to help me be more like you in this. And the last piece of this is actually in verse 8 and 9. And I didn't have 9 on here, but that's okay. Um, and this, this part actually gives me a tremendous amount of hope. 
Because this is literally Peter cheering us on. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Peter had walked with Jesus. Peter experienced the, the, the personal reconciliation of his failure face to face with Christ. And he's saying to us, you haven't seen him. You're not like me. I failed over and over again and I saw him. I knew him. I ate with him. I had fellowship with him. But you don't see him and yet you love him. And the promise that we all have, that we don't see him now, but that we still know him. And that that fills us with an inexpressible and glorious joy. I'm actually going to read verse 9 that says, For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Ultimately, our discipleship journey as followers of Christ is to work out that salvation, knowing that our that that gift that we were given through the death and resurrection of Christ anchors us, that we can walk through failures, that we can receive grace and mercy for the ways that we have missed it, but that we have to come back to him just the way that Peter did, over and over and over again. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you, through your Son, have given us a way not only to be reconciled to you, Lord, but to find a depth of life and faith and truth that is beyond imagination. We pray, Lord, that as we face the failures in our lives, that we would be willing to take those things and place them at the foot of your cross and to walk away with the grace, peace, and mercy that your sacrifice has given us. Amen.